Good morning, church. I'd like to add my welcome to the welcome that has already been extended. If you bear with me while I get this microphone on, I think you all know I prefer to move around. As somebody that doesn't do this very much, it somehow makes me less nervous to get to move while I talk. All right, let's see here. Okay, I think we're moving now. So again, if you're visiting with us, so thankful to have you here. Hope to get to spend a little time with you after service, get to know you, uh, make sure you feel welcome. Please give us the opportunity to do that. And to the members, it is always good to see you. I, I love this congregation, not because we are perfect, but because after going here for so many years, I really do feel like part of the family. And I love seeing each and every one of you here this morning. I put on the screen a picture of our building. That is obviously not the church. I am looking at the church, but I am so thankful for the body of Christ that does meet here. Before we jump into my lesson, I wanted to issue one more thank you. I wanted to take just a second to, to say from the bottom of my heart, Thank you all so much for the donations you made to our Kindness Club activity this month. The little faces you see on the screen, those little hands put together 58 bags, uh, goodie bags, the big ones, packed full of stuff to give to a uh, facility that tries to minister to homeless people here in Lebanon and several pairs of pajamas and normally when we meet for Kindness Club, I try to take a minute and explain to them who we're trying to show kindness to and why we're trying to show kindness to them. But I had to do double duty this past time and tell them where these donations came from to let them know the love and the kindness that this church had already shown by donating so generously to this activity. So it did not go unnoticed. I made sure it connected with them, and it definitely meant a lot to me. So, again, thank you so much for that. As we get into our lesson, some of you may have heard of W. Edwards Deming. When I was in school, which seems like a long, long time ago, he was known as kind of the father of quality management. And I'll tell you just a little bit about him. He was really focused on quality being a never-ending journey, something you were always striving to get better. And you had to have a standard. You had to have something that you were shooting for and to try harder and harder to get there. So his message in the 40s wasn't super well received here in America, but he just happened to, in the late 40s, be in a situation where he was working in uh, Japan and they were trying to rebuild their nation, and they started listening to him, uh, his thoughts on quality, his thoughts on shooting for a standard, on always trying to get better. And I'll, I'll give you an example. They, they loved what the guy said so much that they, you know, he was a foreigner, he was an American, but they made a national prize, one of their highest prizes named after him for companies that could really show this level of excellence. 
and there, there's a great study that uh, really highlights his work where uh, a, a motor company here had so much business that their transmission factory couldn't keep up with it. And so they got some help from a, a company in Japan to make uh, transmissions. I'm not 100% sure what a transmission does. Y'all can all see Jason if you want to know more about that. But what I can tell you was that customers started experiencing better quality in the cars that had the transmissions that came from Japan. So much so that they would wait, like the word of mouth got around and they would wait for one of those models to come in. So this company, this American company said, well, what is going on? Did they change our spec? You know, did they, did they make an improvement to our design? They wanted to see, so they started looking at the, at the, the parts side by side. The design wasn't changed. There was no improvement in, in how the uh, uh, transmission was supposed to function. But what they found was in the ones made in the Japanese factory, they were as close to the standard as possible. The American ones, you know, nothing is ever perfect. There's a range that you can be. The American ones might be closer to the max end and they'd be closer to the, to the lower end. The Japanese ones were, their goal was to get as close to that standard as possible. So this quote by Deming that says, it's not enough to do your best. You gotta know what you're supposed to do and then do your best. I think really summarizes what he was trying to, to teach us. You gotta have that standard. You gotta know what you're doing. And standards are, are used all throughout our life. You ever had to replace something at your house or in your car? And the first thing you think is, I hope this is a standard thing and I don't have to special order it, I don't have to search the earth to find it. Things being standardized are, are good. We, we see it in, you know, in all kind of aspects of our life. You could think about a, a fast food place. I won't name them because you know you shouldn't promote from the pulpit, but let's just say you couldn't eat there today if you wanted to. Some of you know where I'm going. But when you go there, I don't care if you go to a restaurant in Tennessee, in Kentucky. I, I, I've eaten at this restaurant in basically any state I have to travel to for work or family. It's one of the, it's one of the places I'm going to look for. The quality is always the same. Even the quality of the service, they strive for a standard. I've never had a bad experience. I've never had a rude uh, employee at that establishment. Standards are important. But you know the most important standard? God's standard. That's what we read about this morning from Psalms 127. If we're not doing things God's way, it doesn't matter. And I know here he's talking about building a house. He's talking about protecting and watching a city. <clears throat> but we know that the bigger message is it applies to our life. If we're not building our life according to God's standard, it doesn't matter. Amen. Think about the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's such a simple concept. We, we teach it you know, to, the, to the smallest age group. What does the wise man want to do? Build his house on the rock. Just makes sense. You don't want your house to collapse. And Jesus tells them right before that, the wise man is the person that hears his saying, 
and does them. So this morning, I'd like to go through a, an experiment with you to, to look into God's Word to say, how do we really do this? How do we build our life around God's standard? So a couple of points to help us out as we get into this is to know that it has to come from God's Word. It can't come from our feelings. It can't come from society. It can't come from this is the way, uh, you know, mom and dad did it. To be based on God's standard, it has to come from his word. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Nobody should be shocked about that. But then there's another aspect to it. It takes effort to rightly divide his word. Now, we've heard that. We know the scripture, right, that we have to be, uh, um, you know, we have to be diligent in our study to show that we can rightly divide his word. What does that mean, though? I think it means a couple of things. I think it means we have to uh, uh, understand the context of what's going on in the, in the sermons. We have to understand, uh, you know, the customs that they're in so we get the deepest meaning out of Scripture. We got we to gotta dig to, to understand exactly what God's talking about, who he's talking to to help us apply it the best of our life. I think that is absolutely true. I also think God's Word is magnificent in that it is not a bunch of standalone rules. It is principles that build on top of each other. You think about when he summed up uh, you know, the whole law, he said to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. See how those things stack on top of each other? So I think we have to look at Scripture and piece together, well, maybe this is talking about, you know, how, how I should forgive somebody. Maybe this is talking about how I should uh, um, ask for forgiveness, how I should strive to, to be forgiven. Sometimes I'm the forgiver, sometimes I'm the forgivee. You've got to see His Word from a lot of different perspectives. And then there are things that go together. We have to let each bear his own burden, but let, uh, but then he also says, bear each other's burdens. Those go together to kind of form a safety net to, to build up together so that you have a first responsibility, but life isn't always perfect. Sometimes we can't handle our burdens, and God has that covered too. So we're going to have to dig deep. We're going to have to put a lot of Scripture together and see God's plan in totality. And finally, this morning, we're never going to be perfect. I hope you take this lesson uh, as I have been praying for it to be delivered in truth and that it's uplifting and that it's helpful. The only way I know how to prepare a lesson is to think, what do I need to hear in my life? What, what message do I need to, to be closer to God? And that, that's all I can do. But I hope you know that none of us are going to be perfect. None of us are going to be able to hit the standard every day in every way. But we don't give up. We don't say can't win, don't try. Like Deming said, you've got to know what you're supposed to do and then do it to the best of your ability. That's our goal this morning. Some of us, our, our lives are, are missing pieces that, that uh, the Bible may talk about. You may not have children. We're going to talk about 
what the Bible says about, uh, you know, the standard God has for children. That's okay. You were a child at one point. You're still, you still could be somebody's child today. So our life is not going to be perfect. We're not going to hit the, the standard every time. But it shouldn't discourage us from, from looking into God's Word and seeing what His standard is and trying our best to live up to it. So this morning, <clears throat> we're going to build a house. I need you to use your imagination. I need you to think that that picture on the screen is, is a house and you, like, you can see yourself living there. I'll take just a second to give you what I thought was kind of funny. I, I do PowerPoint presentations a lot, but I would say it's not a strength of mine. And most of the ones I do are kind of numbers and bullet points, and it's not anything creative. So I, I struggle with creative stuff anyway. You know, if Hollywood always do little art projects with the kids when they were little, if I were to do one with them, you'd be really hard-pressed to say which one was Elijah's and which one was mine. It's just not in me to be very artistic. So <clears throat> I, I, I make my best effort at a house, and then I realize with humility, I'm not sure this looks really great and this might detract from the sermon. So I ask Holly, can you come here and help? And <laughs> bless her heart, I think she thought I was pranking her. I showed her my slide, and I think she was like, okay, that's the joke slide. Where's the real slide? And I was like, no, that's, that's what I've done. So please, uh, uh, I really appreciate her help making this look more like a home. Picture this as a house. Unless the Lord builds the house, the, the laborers labor in vain. We're going to use this as a metaphor for our life. We're going to build our life up through this house together using God's Word. Now, this, this could be a, you know, a, a quarterly Bible study, we could really get into a lot of deep stuff here. So this morning, we're just going to hit some of the highlights. We're just going to talk about some of the principles. We could get into examples of, you know, parables on fatherhood, uh, examples of good fathers and bad fathers, or good children or bad children. We, you know, there's so much we could get into. But this morning, we're just going to try to build this house pretty quickly to show what it looks like when we put God's Word completely together and we examine our life compared to his standard. You with me? Okay, where should we start? If we're going to build a house, what is the most important part? Foundation, right? I could, I could say, here's a beautiful mansion. Oh, it just happens to be built over, uh, you know, a fault line. It just happens to be built right beside a sinkhole that's expanding. Anybody want that house? You've got to have a solid foundation. So we're going to start building this house of our life with the foundation. Our foundation is simple and straightforward. You put God first. There is no close second. He is a jealous God. He is a mighty God. He is a loving God. He deserves to be first. Scripture after Scripture tells us uh, the most important thing is to seek the righteousness of God. More important than worrying about our food or about our clothing or about how we're going to survive, worrying about God's righteousness. We're told to, to put Him first. Uh, I think I've shared this before, but I'll share it every chance I get. This was crystallized in my brain because of my grandfather, my dad's dad. We were at their, I think it was 60th, 65th, that part is important, but it was at a, it was at a celebration of the, the marriage uh, that they had, they were, it was at least 60. And my dad's dad 
was the, the most thoughtful person I've ever met. And what I mean by that is if you ask him a question, you better sit down and wait for a little bit because he was going to think about the answer before he gave it to you. He was going to really consider things. He was going to be thoughtful with his answer. And so they've got them, I think it was at a church and they building, and they had them up on the stage, you know, my, my grandfather, my grandmother, and they were talking about, you know, bringing up memories, laughing, all that. And they asked my grandfather, what's the, what's the key to, uh, you know, having such a good and a, and a long-lasting marriage? I almost choked on the chicken that I was eating because he answered so quickly. And I thought, that's what? I've never seen my grandfather answer something so quickly. This was his answer. It wasn't marry your best friend. It wasn't, you know, it's not 50-50. You both put 100% in. It was none of that. It was put God first. Every other thing we're going to build around this house will fail. Not a question of if, just a question of when. There will be bad things that happen in our life. There will be mistakes that we make. There will be mistakes that the people in our life makes. The rest of this house will not be perfect, but this foundation will be. If our love and our actions are based on how our day is going, based on how other people treat us on what they deserve, we have now moved from building our house on the rock over here with the foolish person, and we are building our house on the sand. This has to be our foundation. This is the thing that will keep us from falling completely apart when those mistakes happen, when those bad things happen. We will still treat people the way God wants us to treat them. So we got a great foundation here, an unshakable foundation. We just got to remember to put God first no matter the situation. All right, let's add a, a pillar in here. Let's talk about the role of uh, a husband. And if you're blessed enough to be a father, if that's part of your life, being a father. So much we could go into here. Again, I just want to hit some of the highlights for us. We have to be a faithful partner. Our world is beginning to value that less and less. Why get married? It's just a piece of paper and a ring. Why limit yourself to one person for the rest of your life? God not only says faithful uh, husband is, is required for his standard of your life, he says it's required for salvation. Look at Galatians 5. Super important. We have to hear that. Men, we have to remember our duty to be faithful. Provider, leader, You've probably heard, you know, a million sermons on those. <clears throat> Sacrificial love. So remember when I said we're not going to live up to this standard? Galatians 5 also tells us as husbands we have to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Think about that. That that is something none of us, no matter how much we love our wives, we are going to be able to do. Because the Son of God loved the church so much that he lived a perfect life for her, that he gave his life on the cross for her. But I'm thankful that God set that standard for us. God gave us something to shoot for. So when we get 
busy, when we get grumpy, when we get frustrated. Guys, remember God's standard. We have to treat our wife like Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Almighty, treated His church. Uh, two more that I'd like to touch on really quickly. A, a teacher. Now, I don't mean teaching your son or daughter how to throw a spiral or change the oil in their car or clean a fish, which I don't know how to do. Those are all well and good things. Those are optional. God's Word tells us if we have children, we have to teach them about God. And I think that's... Uh, I, I love what Deuteronomy 6 says because it, it talks about what time of day are you supposed to do it? All the time. And he talks about, you know, putting it on, on your body, putting it on the door. It cannot be a secret to them. They need to know about God. They need to know why we love God. So I hope you bring them to Vacation Bible School. I hope you bring your kids or your grandkids to uh, Sunday morning Bible class, Wednesday evening Bible study. That is great. Please keep doing that. But none of that takes away the commandment from God's Word that we have to teach them. You may not be a great teacher, but if you put your heart into it, you, you share with them God's Word. The other thing we have to do, we have to be a good parent. And again, God is, His Word is so good about setting a principle. And that principle covers a ton of situations. So if you look in Ephesians 6, it talks about not being so hard on our kids that we discourage them. They're not adults. No matter how many times you tell them to pick up after themselves, no matter how many times you tell them to shut the door, they're not adults. They're going to make mistakes. And it took me a while to understand what he's talking about when he says, don't discourage them. And, you know, I, uh, I'm a football player still at heart, although my, my body gave that up a long time ago. I still think of things in terms of sports. Dads, and this goes for moms too, we're like coaches. Coaches are supposed to push you. Coaches are supposed to prepare you. We're not the ones playing the game anymore. We're preparing them for their life. And it can be tempting to, to have our children, uh, you know, see them as a reflection of us see them as if they do something that we don't like, if, they don't, if they're not captain of the team or make all A's, well, people are going to think Jeremy's a bad father. And then I, I start focusing on things that don't matter. I am their spiritual coach, first and foremost. I want to equip them, prepare them for the game they're about to enter. I'm not playing the game. I win if they win. They're the ones out there that have to make those decisions. So it's, it's like, you know, coaches know how to push you. I remember, I remember, and it's not, it's not words you're excited to hear your coach say, but having the coach say, when you think you've taken your last step, you can take one more. I was like, no, coach, this is my last step. He's like, oh, no, you can do more. You can do one more rep. Coaches push because they know the game is going to be challenging. Coaches want to prepare you. Parents, we got to be our children's spiritual coach. It's the only thing that really matters. I don't care what kind of grades they get. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, 
I care. I don't want it to be something that turns into a, a distraction or a hindrance to them, but I will not get upset about it. But let them start to show something where they don't understand God's principle. That's, that's real serious. We got to address that. Again, we'll have to move on for time, but let's look at another found, uh, pillar here. Let's look at the role of wives or, and or mothers. The Bible says a lot about this very special role. A lot of the stuff we talk about with dad's covers here, they have to teach, they have to be a good parent, they have to be a faithful partner. The Bible, uh, God's word calls for them to be a supporter. It's not always the easiest thing to do because sometimes you're supporting somebody that makes a bad decision. Sometimes you're submitting to somebody that is not having a good day. God calls you to be a supporter. And, and if, you, if you submit to God first and then you submit to your husband, I guarantee you it may not be instantly, but it will make him a better leader. The Bible says a lot about what it's like to have um, you know, support, and it says what it's like to have a, a wife that, that doesn't support you. And then if we had time, I'd love for us to all read the last part of Proverbs 31. What a beautiful passage. If you haven't read that in a while, I encourage you to go back and look at that. Look at what thousands of years ago God's word said to us about the role of a wife. It is a person with a lot of responsibility. It is a person with a lot of impact. And then I love what it says about it's, it's a person full of grace and wisdom. The kind of mother that her children praise. Again, we want to look to God's word and say, where am I coming up a little bit short? Where have I forgotten some of his principles? And you could take any of these passages and go through it, and I guarantee you, you would, you'd pull something out that would benefit your life. Well, now let's look at children. We know children are supposed to honor their parents. We know children are supposed to obey their parents. Children are also supposed to support their parents. Remember what I said about God's word, how it, it takes care of many different situations. It has things that, that go together, that complement each other. We have to take care of our children. You know, one of the things on the father says, we got to be a provider. I can't choose to not go to work. But there could come a time when they need to support me, and God's word encourages them to do that. I want to touch on this one about kindness real quick. I don't think we hear this talked about a lot, but, you know, our youth group, full of wonderful children, and then, I, I, you know, I, but I see how sometimes they treat each other as brothers and sisters, not each other in the youth group, right? They're buddies. They'll be kind to each other. But then when they get home, how do they treat their brother and sister? And I must confess, you know, I'm, I'm a little brother. When I look at how my kids sometimes treat their older brothers and sisters, I'm like, oh, man, I owe my big brother an apology. But think about God's standard is for us to love our brothers and sisters, to be kind to them. How do I know that? Because it uses the term brotherly kindness. There's supposed to be a certain kindness, a certain love that you have for your brother, to be as close as a brother. Uh, and, and, and it tells you know, us to treat our brothers, and, uh, our brothers and sisters in here like our actual brothers and sisters. Now, I don't think that means to 
you know, pull their hair and give them wedges and annoy them and stuff like that. No, it means to love them and to be kind to them. I know my life was easier because my older brother was, you know, the first through the door. But more importantly, I know my life was better because I had an older brother who took care of me, who looked out for me. So I'm thankful for that, and I need to repay him by showing kindness. <clears throat> now we've got, you know, aunts, uncles, grandparents, uh, uh, members of the church. God put a thing for us to support each other. Maybe you don't have a brother or a sister. You got about 250 right here. Maybe you don't have a husband or a wife. You've got a family right here. God set it up to give us that support, to take care of us. And lastly, we've got a foundation. We've got some good pillars. What's our, what's our house missing? Would anybody like to be in a house that doesn't have a roof? You know, uh, uh, when the weather was like it was last week and you get about, you know, five or six inches of snow, we need a roof. God prepared a very, very special roof to go over our houses, and that roof is love. This family is just like my family. We have good moments and bad moments. We have moments where we're on fire and we're strong, and we have moments when we're weak and we make mistakes. The only way you stay a family is to love each other. The only way you stay a husband and wife is to love each other. And this verse is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture because it took me a long time to understand this. I thought as a child I had to be perfect to be loved. I had to be good. I had to do good in football. I had to do good in school. I had to use my manners to be loved. Even as an adult, I thought I had to be a perfect husband to be loved. And thank God this verse finally got through to me and broke it down so I could see I'm perfected because I'm loved. Love forgives me. Love gives me a second and a third and a fourth chance. So in our life, our foundation is God. Your house may have more pillars than I put up here. It may only have one or two pillars. But you've got that roof over you in love if you follow God's standard. So this morning, I apologize, I know we covered a lot quickly, but I want to show you, look at this picture. God set up a standard for our life, not just a bunch of rules that we have to follow, but things that help us live together as a family and as a family of God. And it goes back to our verse, if this isn't the way you're building your life, God's Word tells you you're building it in vain. We can't be perfect but we want to shoot for God's standard. So this morning, maybe if we've touched on something that you say, boy, I just don't, I don't feel good about that. You know, I never thought about it that way. I never put the, the priorities the same way. And there's something you want prayers of encouragement for. Or maybe there's something you want to study more. How do you be a better son or daughter, brother and sister, member of the church? There's something that you feel like does not feel right. You are not at God's standard. We would love to help you. And then most importantly this morning, if you are outside of Christ, if you are lost in your sins, understand this, God has an even more important standard than the standard for our life. That's the standard of salvation. The passage here from Acts 4 makes it clear, there is no other name in heaven and earth in which we can be saved. 
God has one plan for salvation. So this morning, if, you, if you're struggling, if you know you have sinned and you know you have not been washed by Jesus' blood, come forward. Confess your faith in Him as the Son of God. Repent of the bad things that you have done. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but you're turning from those things and be baptized into His blood and receive the forgiveness of your sins. Church, I love you. I love being part of this congregation. Whatever we can do to help, don't, don't suffer alone. Don't worry about being judged. People are going to love you. Whatever you need this morning, please let us know while we stand and sing.